The results of the National Church Life Survey are in and they show an intriguing picture of an institution that's supposed to be in terminal decline. Yes, Christianity is now a minority faith, but in many ways parishes are accurate reflections of modern Australia. The director of the survey is Dr Ruth Powell. More women than men because women are more religious than men. Church attenders are older, they remain highly educated, and there's an incredible multicultural mix. That's the picture of your average congregation. Of course, no one is average, though. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to drill down into some of the details. I guess for many, the headline figure is that churches are historically patriarchal organisations. And yet, what about the people in the pews? You're referring to the fact that six out of 10 church attenders are women. That is true not only in Australia, not only in Christian congregations, but in fact, researchers around the world have found that in every faith tradition. There's lots of theories as to why, but women are more religious than men. I mean, do we know some of the impulses there? I think it's 80% of church congregations, according to your data, are headed by men. Interestingly, Pentecostals, it's only 66% of congregations headed by men. Can we expand a little on some Mm -hmm. of the thinking behind such a strong following of religion by women? There are lots of interesting theories, and all of them probably have some truth in them. One set of theories would be around the nurturing role of women in family life and the role of religious communities as a way of connecting people, giving meaning and structure, and that has been something that women are invested in. Another interesting theory, some have tried to go down biological pathways. That's a bit beyond me, so I'll park that, and that's been more difficult to try and evaluate. Another one is around the role of status. As a volunteer organisation, women, while you're quite right, in many faith traditions have not had that key senior leader role, and that continues to be the case. It still remains an organisation where women have been able to contribute and have a space to bring their gifts and skills. So we see women having various roles in local church life, even if they're not up the front. It's a space where women have been able to give leadership and express their gifts. Mm. And some people would argue that working women, for example, who find another sphere for expressing their giftings and offering leadership perhaps are less engaged, but non-working women may be more engaged and or the religious communities offer non-working women greater opportunities. That's an interesting one. Very interesting, Ruth. Now, you mentioned the question of work. On a related question, education levels, what did you find Mm -hmm. about the education levels of people in the pews today? Well, extraordinarily high. 44% of church attenders are highly educated. And church attenders have always, in fact, been more, from our survey, more educated than the wider Australian community. So you've got a gap between the church and the community. Even though the community has increased in their education levels, so Australia is becoming more educated, church attenders continue to outpace the wider community. Levels go up and the gap remains, if you like. The community has not caught up 
in terms of that educated group. Yeah, that 44% uh, when you talk about education, you're talking about people with bachelor's degrees and higher, I believe. Yeah, that's right. University educated. This proposes, though, some challenges, though, doesn't it? I mean, it it does mean that church can often be a rather middle class pursuit, doesn't it? I mean, is this an issue that churches are grappling with? It absolutely is. And I think we have to acknowledge that when you run a survey, those with higher levels of education are more likely to do it. So we would acknowledge that churches in poorer communities are probably underrepresented. In terms of who's really out there, they're probably underrepresented in our survey. Even though we have thousands of churches across the whole of the country, that would be one factor. But I think that there are groups of people who are facing this hard message that the church is disconnected from the breadth of Australian communities. And I'm aware of groups of people who are really working hard on training methods, leadership styles, how churches actually gather that are more appropriate across the breadth of who Australians actually are. Well, one area where there's a very interesting correlation with the way that Australian society has evolved is the ethnic backgrounds. Uh, Now, 52% of Australians, I think, according to the last census, are first or second generation immigrants. How does this show up in your figures in the National Church Life Survey? Yeah, look, it's about the same. About half of all church attenders have at least one parent born overseas that makes them first or second generation. And that means there's a commonality there. There's a shared experience in terms of the so many Australians have that migrant experience as part of their story. Church is a place that appears for many reasons, I think, to be helpful or useful for people from a wide array of culturally diverse backgrounds. I think as a community, it can be a place where if you've come from overseas, it not only may form religious purpose in terms of your own practice of your faith, but it's a place to meet people like you, people who share your language or people who have that common migrant experience. Local churches provide wonderful places for multi-ethnic mix. And in fact, we found, we believe that Australia is perhaps got higher proportions of multicultural churches than, who knows, maybe we're the most in the world. I can't say that for absolute certain, but much more than, say, the US. So it's a strength of the Australian church. Yeah, 24% of churchgoers speak a language other than English at home. Mm. I think the Catholics have got it all over the other churches, though. Isn't something like 50% of the Catholic congregations or, or Catholic attendees uh, immigrant uh, or first or second generation migrants? Yes, indeed. Both the congregations are, and one of the excellent and clever things that the Catholic Church has done is to say rather than having separate parishes for separate ethnic groups, they have embraced and said, we will meet together as a shared parish. We may have our 3 p.m. Vietnamese mass. We may have our 7 p.m. Spanish mass, but we actually see ourselves as one multi-ethnic parish. And I think that's a real gift and it really leads the way in terms of possibilities. But certainly the Protestant churches, many Protestant churches have that same multicultural mix or are embracing and trying their best to support mono, non-Anglo groups, who I think there is strength in also meeting again with people like you that share the same language, and there's absolutely a place for that. And again, that probably goes under the radar, the incredible growth, young people, and possibilities that 
mono-ethnic groups offer. Now, these are all very positive statistics uh, for churches coming out of this survey. There is the continuing challenge, though, of a greying church, an ageing church. What did your research find there? Yeah, well, look, I will note, I think the ethnic profile is positive. The education profile is not so positive. That's a real gap between church and community in terms of that highly educated church group. When it comes to age, you're right. This is in a sense where the church is harvesting what happened in the 60s and 70s when the young adults of the day, the baby boomers, disengaged from religious institutions. And the problem is previous generations, when they spread their wings, when they had children, they would tend to come back. And that's what the church thought would happen. It didn't happen. And what you have then is a spiral that continues where each successive generation has less connection, less awareness of religious faith, of Christian connections, and their children have less awareness. And I think we've got a name that not only is the church ageing, but you have an Australian population who are increasingly less familiar with core basic Christian faith things. We found from our Australian Community Survey, for example, that around half of Australians couldn't even confirm that they knew that Jesus was a real historical figure. Although on the ageing nature of congregations, there is an interesting twist there because there's a sort of enthusiasm gap. Who are the most enthusiastic group, though, about church attendance? Yes, while we acknowledge that the church is ageing and that presents some really significant challenges for the institutions, for the local churches, but the whole institution. When we delve more closely and we look, the younger adults who are part of church life are the most positive. They're the most engaged. They're new. They love what they've found there. They've obviously found churches that whatever's happening there, they like it. They want to be more involved is another key message. So they say they are involved. Again, the churches that have made, can I say, a safe place for younger adults and found ways of expressing music, the forms of worship, the forms of communication, whatever they're doing, and it will be diverse, they are the most positive group. And so that's an encouragement that if churches can meet young people, there are ways that those young people will connect in with the local Christian church. On that question of ageing church congregations, should we be that surprised or even alarmed? Because it is natural that, let us face it, the closer one gets to mortality, the more people reflect on this. I know a man who went back to church in his late 80s, having left church in his mid-20s. Should we be that concerned if the church is a little greyer? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I think there's a number of ways of understanding age difference. But one that you're describing is the life stage. As you go through different stages of life, you engage matters of faith in different ways. So you exactly described that. Someone who is younger, who's perhaps wanting to push away from their parents' way of doing things and make their own way as a young adult, who then has those big life questions confronted at the end of their life. That's a life stage sort of explanation. I think what is more powerful that is happening is a cohort generational perspective. And that's what I named when I named those baby boomers. The way you are shaped in your young adult life actually mostly 
follows through your whole life. That's really relevant because religious formation happens in childhood and young adulthood. And so if you've not been formed, if you've not been socialized, if that faith formation hasn't happened within a community of faith with the support particularly of your family, your household, but others around you who show you what it is to be a person of faith, you are much less likely to carry that through into life. Of course, there are people who are coming back to church or trying church for the first time. But because those generations have been lost, it's even more and more difficult, as I described, for people who don't even know the basics now, that's what the church is facing, that kind of disconnect. Ruth, just finally, the famous American political scientist Robert Putnam used to speak about bridging capital and bonding capital, the idea that uh, institutions can connect with other institutions in society But within the institutions themselves, they can also bring together people of common interest. What does the National Church Life Survey show about that? Yes, it does show that local Australian churches are incredibly strong at generating both the bonding and bridging social capital. What we find within local churches, those who stay, of course, those who haven't connected are gone and we don't count them and it's to hear from them. But those who are there speak about how important it is to make friends, their sense of belonging. That, of course, is heightened by the religious layer of it. The meaning and purpose and shared values really turns that up in terms of bonding. But you also find that church attenders are perhaps the best volunteers in Australia. They are more likely than the average Australian to be volunteering more widely. And therefore, there is this connection, not only bridging into the community, serving with care, welfare, justice, advocacy, because again, fueled by their faith and as part of their expression of following Jesus, there's this action, if you like, into their wider spheres of influence. But the bridging exists then as ordinary church attenders are just embedded in their communities and therefore have the capacity, let's say you're a young migrant who joins a local church guaranteed not only you will find a place to belong, hopefully you have a good experience of belonging in that community, but also the people in that local church will help you find a job, how to use the bus, where to find a tax agent, all the practical parts of life as well are part of that community experience. Dr. Ruth Powell from the National Church Life Survey. And that ends today's program. You can follow us at the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a review because it helps others find the program if you enjoy it. Thanks to Hong Jang and Simon Branthwaite. I'm Andrew West. Join us again for the Religion and Ethics Report. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.